Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. I'm your host, Xander Braffel, and joining me today is Charlie and Chrissy Saunders. Charlie, Chrissy, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Happy Good. back. It's been a while. Yeah, excited to have all of us on. It's going to be fun. Yes. Yes, it's going to be a great episode today. Um, it has been a minute since we have been on. Uh, we were enjoying a mini series for the podcast, walking through implementing a new marketing automation platform. And I think that that has been a super helpful uh, set of podcasts for our yeah. listeners to be able to kind of get their hands wrapped around such a large initiative. Mm -hmm. um, but I am very excited to circle back and start talking about tracking your funnel. More importantly, tracking that funnel on a custom object, primarily in Salesforce, but this could apply with other CRMs. And today you guys are going to walk us through kind of why we started going down this path, uh, what problems it's solving, and then really what we're, what we're going to try and present everybody with is the ability to pitch this to non-operational folks. Because we can get into the weeds and we have gotten into the weeds, um, but it's really important to be able to hit on what is going to make the most sense for your executive leadership in order to prioritize something like this across the org? Yeah. Chrissy, do you want to walk us through? Give us a little bit of history. Like, how did we get to this place? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe I'll start with two. I was just thinking as you're talking, like, I feel like there's been a an interesting history of tracking the funnel or what people call life cycle um, since I've even started working in mops. Obviously I started Marketo and I was lucky because, uh, there we even within our tool had, uh, you know, a whole, you know, module around tracking your life cycle. Like they had like the life cycle modeler and you can build out your rules and track people through the different stages. Um, and, it, you know, it was, it was good. It got people thinking about, okay, wow, I can actually see people going through these journeys and what's a success path and what goes off as a success path and where am I seeing drop-ins and conversions? Um, but the problem is that all that data just lived in that, you know, in that module and model in, in Marketo. And it wasn't um, anywhere that executives could see or people outside of Marketo. The, the other thing too, is it really struggled to um, see multiple journeys, or if you have like a cu customer one, you have to build another model and so forth. So, so it kind of went away a bit from people using it just because everyone saw a lack of enablement because you couldn't really use that data. And over time it went into, okay, let's just track this in CRM. A lot of the times on the lead and contact, um, in the past, I've also tracked it on the campaign member, um, even about like 10 years ago doing that um, in kind of a custom uh, way. Um, and and there's obviously- it, Do you want to unpack that a bit for people who don't understand even, they need to kind of understand that, what you mean by that. Oh like yeah. You track it on a campaign member or track it on a leading, leading contact. Do you want to dig into more of that? Oh yeah. So, um, I mean, most of this is tracking the metadata for the date and time and when people go through a stage. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when you do it the right way, you're accounting for all of those stage entries, um, and not really skipping some or, you know, double counting, but on the campaign member, you would track, um, basically a field for each stage entry, 
um, with a date and time. Also, usually a checkbox so that you can do some manipulation of the data to see how many people went through each of those stages. Um, and then you could do that on the leading contact as well. Uh, the benefit of a campaign member, it was the one object within Salesforce where you could join leading contacts together. So you, otherwise you have the issue of the leading contacts being separate from each other, creating, having the need to create multiple reports. And then, but all of it see, is really tricky as well to tie then back to opportunities. Um, on the campaign member, you have the lack of ability to do a lookup to the opportunity. And then with leading contact, it makes it really hard to do that full journey from lead to opportunity as well, just because of the lead conversion. So um, there's always been a lot of issues. The thing that is interesting is when we've been doing, you know, we've been working at CS2 for almost nine years now, eight and a half years. And we, whenever we worked with clients, especially startups, they, they want to do something that is, um, you know, pretty low effort. And so a lot of the time, uh, we would look at the lead and contact method, um, or, you know, just on the person, you know, tracking that lead and contact and stamping those dates and having those check boxes and reports so that we could build, um, you know, reports on how people are flowing through the funnel. The problem is, uh, you know, without having multiple series of different fields for tracking different entries or, um, through the life cycle or different life cycle, uh, journeys, uh, which is a pain in the ass anyway, you're always going to be overriding data. And so then there's always these issues of, you know, not being able to see multi-journeys, overriding your data. You you told the board you had MQLs during this quarter. Now you're saying it's less. Why is that happening? Well, you're, that person probably became an MQL again. Um, and then the the that creates a lack of trust in the data. And then also this confusion around like, having to report on lead and contact separately. Why do I need to add them together? Not being able to see that in one place, among other things that we'll probably talk about. But um, that's when we talk about tracking, it's just tracking people through the stages and being able to build conversion rates. That's the whole thing. Like, okay, what out of the people that are entering into our stages, yes, you get volume. We talk about the three Bs. Uh, you get volume and then you get conversion. So you can see how many people are going from one stage to the next. Um, and then uh, velocity. So how long is that taking? So that's why the, the date and time is really important as well, because there's usually a really, um, for us LA tracking, you want to see how fast can we get, you know, an MQL followed up with. Um, and so there's, uh, what, what we found is that there's always been this wanting something else, <laughs> something that's better, something that addresses all of these issues to track it. And that's why we are where we are today with really promoting using a custom object. Um, I'm not saying this is like groundbreaking, but the thing is a lot of, a lot of companies still don't do it. Um, yeah. And so we've had a lot of interest for it. And the one thing that we've noticed is that companies that thought, oh, well, let's just, let's just do something easy and quick. They usually grow out of that pretty quickly once they figure out some of the downfalls. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing now. And we're like, okay, let's just not do that. Just bypass that and just go straight to doing it and setting up right from the beginning. Well, the biggest issue with the easy and quick is that, like you said, the, the whole growing out of it issue where as companies scale, as they become more complex, as budgets increase, team sizes increase, all that complexity increases. That's when you start to really need robust funnel data to be able to operationalize your marketing and sales strategy, to be able to understand how leads are flowing through buying stages, 
understand where pipeline is coming from, et cetera. And then at that stage, when you, when you need it most, you don't have the data. And then you've got all these people asking for the data. And then to be able to get this built out is a much more complicated project now because you've got so much more complexity. So by yeah. waiting too long, you end up in this really sticky situation. I, I say one client or, or uh, that we spoke to recently, you know, they, they've got to a pretty decent size now. I think they've gone through a few funding stages. They've got, they're spending over a million dollars on ads every single month and they don't have funnel data. And it's like, that's just, and it's so frustrating to the team, like the new team that's coming in there now because they're just like, okay, we're spending all this money. We've got all this stuff going on, but we can't even see like how many leads are coming, where, where, those, where they're coming from, how many are converting into pipeline and if that's converting into revenue but we're spending all this money and it's just kind of like a big black box where that money's going to. So that's why we're big advocates now for like, okay, I know it's a bit more of a complicated project to get this, to get the more complex version done early, but grow into it instead of grow out of it. And that's what's kind of led us here, like Chrissy was saying, to being huge advocates for this method now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, it's always about, this is data capture. You know, mm -hmm. and so the sooner that you do it, the better off that you're going to be. I know I've been in scenarios where we've changed our methodology on how we track stuff like on a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I appreciate so much about being here at CS2 and working with our clients is that like it's been a long time. It's been almost nine years. Some of the, some of our clients that have been with us since the beginning have been using leading contact methodology. So at least they had some historical Mm -hmm. Imagine if they had a really great process like this eight years ago with eight years of data where you can really start to make some insights and not constantly have to have the conversation of, well, this definition meant this last year and then two years ago it meant something else and we tracked it three different ways and we actually don't have any year over year reporting that we can rely on. Do it right the first time, get everybody aligned on the process and it's going to go a long, long way. Yeah, yeah. and I think you mentioned something, but... When we talk about Salesforce customers, um, where we are today with what automation you can do in Salesforce is like, you know, eons from where we were eight years ago. You Great. had to know Apex in order to like build what we're talking about. You couldn't, and even process builders didn't come out until like later than that. And th those ha those were terrible for building automation. So now that we have flow and the efficiency of using flow, and also it's something that not a developer, you know, you don't have to be a developer to go in and kind of understand what's happening. That's opened the possibilities and that's made us more comfortable building out a solution for this using flow because you don't have the inefficiencies of you know, workflows, process builders, where it makes it impossible, but also you don't need to have an Apex developer on staff to really customize it if you need to. So yeah, like we, you could have had something with, if you bought like maybe a tool back then, but it would have been a managed package. They would have charged you a big subscription or, and it, most of it would have maybe been done using Apex code, um, which it feels like a black box to a lot of um, admins. So um, now we have that opportunity and, and that's why we're starting to use it now. What a great call out. Thank you for sharing that. Charlie, 
I'm I'm curious. You are you are very much about how do I optimize and how do I make this stuff work as as good as possible. Um, what are some ways that that you've had success pitching this to folks across an organization, um, either in your conversations or working with other admins trying to get this through? I think the the number one thing that resonates the most, and it it almost isn't even a pitch. It's kind of Talk, talking to them about their challenges and then presenting a way to solve those challenges. Um, that it's kind of like, it's not salesy, it's just kind of helping them realize there's a better way. Um, is when you start to learn about how they're reporting on their funnel today. So most people, like Chrissy was saying, are still stuck in like the early 2010s lead and contact methods where they're tracking date times on the lead and contact. Chrissy alluded to some of the, the issues with that. One of the big issues with that um, is around how, how Salesforce works. You have the lead table, you have the contact table. But the other thing is, you know, yes, you might have date stamps there, but there's other data in other objects. Like you've got your campaign member data about your campaigns, but then maybe your UTMs are on the lead and contact. You've got your opportunity data on opportunities and then some account data on accounts. And it's just this very fragmented situation so then you're tracking a lot of this stuff in silos and in different data tables. So you, you have a couple of options at that point to be able to get full funnel lead to cash and upsell reporting where you have to go, okay, maybe I don't have a BI tool or data warehouse yet. So I'm just going to pull all of this data out of Salesforce, get all these reports, do weird stitching and like making up numbers basically in Excel. And then that's my, that's my, um, you know, revenue funnel reporting um that will never be that... repeated the same way again and then you leave and then someone else tries to do it and it's not gonna match and and that's where the it's, shit storm starts <laughs> it's painful it's painful so like as soon as i ask you know, how are you reporting on your funnel and i hear like the word excel you you already know uh it's a disaster and it's taking you know, even if you take out the fact that it's probably wildly inaccurate, so you're basing your rev you're building a revenue plan and your operation and you're optimizing marketing and sales based on faulty data, it's taking a lot of time to do it. So everyone's wasting hours every single week. Now you've got board asking for a lot of this data around funnel and pipeline, etc., and you know, everyone's scrambling every quarter or even more often than that, depending on your board cadence to get all of this data together in a way to kind of basically make up some data that the board's going to be happy with. And it's just, it's just frustrating for everyone involved and everyone knows kind of the issues with it. Um, but they often don't realize the solutions to the issue. So when you say, okay, well, there is a way that we can, you know, all that tracking that you've got, you know, yes, you're tracking UTMs. Yes. You're, you're creating opportunities. Yes. You're, you know, tracking meetings, et cetera. Yes. You've got outreach or sales loft. You know, and you're tracking when sales is engaging and you're MQLing and you've got, you know, your handoff process that a lot of that, you know, if that's set up well, it's OK. But let's actually get the data that we're going to report on in a custom object in a single record, bringing all of that data together. So in one record, this is getting more into the technical, but in one record, you have the channel campaign data, the date of all funnel progression, all the data you need to kind of like uh, pivot your reporting the opportunity data, everything in one place. And now you can actually look at, have a report in Salesforce to be able to report on your full funnel. 
And yeah, if you want to export that into Excel, that's fine. But you actually just have to export one table, no more kind of weird uh, matching of data. And also, you know, those people who are really heavily into BI, it's great for you too, because you don't have to do all this data stitching in your data warehouse anymore. And you've got this just, the, the report that you show in Salesforce is exactly the same as the report in Tableau, which is another massive issue that people experience where they have all of this magic happening outside of Salesforce in data warehouse. But then they, the, the report that some of their sales team is looking at in Salesforce does not reflect the report they have in BI. So the, 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 big, the big way to like sell this is around that, that efficiency of getting the reporting. You know, I think it's worth kind of explaining some of the, the complexities around these fragmented objects and bringing it into one. And then the, just the robustness and quality of the data that you're going to get, get out of it. And if you have bad data, you have bad decisions. It doesn't matter how good you are analyzing data if your data is incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. The the amount of complexity that goes into getting the timestamps to work on lead and contact alone is so much, right? Because you get somebody, they're going through the life cycle, you recycle them, you want to keep the timestamps for historical purposes, but now they've re-entered the flow. So you need to make sure that you're updating all of the timestamps that are in the future and clearing those out while at the same time still keeping everything that was before accurate. And if you just have a custom object that that doesn't have to think about the last journey and can just start over and work and be clean, it's so much more dependable. Um, I am personally working on, like I have clients that are using a little bit of different methodology uh, all across the board still. And like I get frustrated with the leading contact methodology just because the amount of data cleanup that you have to do to keep it running effectively is is much higher than something that is just very very streamlined. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that you can like streamline it on those on those those ways, but it's always it always feels like a little bit of a hack. Yeah, yeah. I I like to think about it. It's kind of what you're talking about too with a multi journey, but with any data is like the benefit of a custom object and having kind of a single record for that journey. It's like point in time stamping that is really clean without having to have like all these different fields. So like, yes, you know, you can track all the individual stage entries to that custom object record, but you can also do great things with just pulling other metadata from that record at that point in time. So being able to see the tipping point source um, for like when they became sales ready and stamping that on the custom object or other data that was there, you know, during that time without worrying about it getting overwritten again. So if you're tracking like a most recent lead source and things like that, it's going to keep getting updated. So the, the, the ability to just like have a single point in time kind of snapshot of like what's been going on and being able to then update that as things happen and knowing that it will stay clean, like you said, is great. Otherwise, like, you end up pulling, okay, well, what, okay, but what's the lead source of, of those MQL? Oh, is it the most recent lead source? Oh, but it's been updated since then because we update it every time. And so it's an inaccurate. And so the, the custom object really helps you get around some of that issue too, when you want to actually slice the data from other things that are, you know, getting updated frequently as well. Yeah. yeah I think maybe to translate this, cause you know, we're, we're trying to focus this on like the how to talk to leadership about this. Yeah. Right? So a lot of what we've talked about here, 
I remember, I just remember we've done, obviously over, over the years, we've built a lot of lead and contact methods, you know, we can't say we've never done that. And this is why we know, like, it's better to do the custom object one, because like, we've done it over and over and over and over again, <laughs> every time we do it, because, you know, the client wants us to do it that way, and they don't want to go the more advanced way a year later, then they want to go the more advanced way. Um, mm-hmm. And I just remember just being getting so frustrated, because uh, uh, every time we do it, we would do it. And we would, we would take the client through the options, you know, we, let's do this more, you know, the cu- more custom object build way, but they're like, no, we want to do it the lead and contact way. We want to do it quickly, quickly. When, when you actually present, I remember actually one specific time with a client, I won't remember, I won't name their name, but we got on the call to present this to their CMO and their CMO had been part of the decision of get, doing the lead and contact. And I remember them just going like, why do I have to add the, these numbers together again? And I was just like, I just wanted to cry because it's like we had stopped, we had gone through this conversation so many times. Like, okay, if we go the lead and contact method, you're going to have you know volume data for leads, volume data for contacts. You're going to have to add that data together to get your total volume and your conversion rates and stuff. And then we had done all this build and got it all ready and got all the reports as good as you can get them in Salesforce. And then they were just, they were just like frustrated. And that's yeah. part of the history that got us here. It's just like time after time trying to explain the complexities and the issues and and no one kind of quite understanding them until they actually have to live with the lead and contact method and have to do that math to add all the numbers together and all of this <laughs> complexity and Excel weirdness. So I think trying to present that to leadership and go like, do you want this just to work? Or do you want to have to do the work to get this to work every time you want your reporting? You know? Yeah. I think that's like the critical kind of like way to sum this up. Or a lack of cohorted view, right? They're like, oh, I want to just see a whole like one dashboard just down the line to show me all my MQLs generated this quarter and where they are now. It's like, well, you're missing out on some now because, oh, contacts aren't showing up in this cohorted view and, you know, all, all these things. And it's just disappointment. <laughs> lack of, a lack, yeah, is like the big thing. So, um you know, if you just focus on the east, you know, ease of use for the data, having it in the place that everyone can actually use it without manipulation, and then saving time for your team, and then having more accurate, better decision making, and reporting back to the company and the business so that you can actually know, you know, what what's actually happening and not under report and not over report um, is the biggest thing. Um, and then I, sometimes I think with this, with it too, is I've made this mistake as well, but I think about kind of like things that you buy for your house or, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, let's just get like the cheaper option first. In some ways that's okay, but you don't really want to do that for really important things like, oh, let's just get like you know, a cheap whole like kitchen first. And then, you know, in 15 years, 10 years, five years, whatever, we'll do when we can actually afford it or when we feel like we're ready, we'll rebuild it. Or people think about this with starter homes. And it's like, that usually doesn't end up being just your starter home. It ends up being your full home because there's things that come up. You realize, oh, I don't have the capacity now. Oh, life threw me two kids and now I just need to focus on them. You know, so if you can, this is one of those cases where, in, you know, investing in the ABM tool, yes, grow into that. 
But investing in the foundation to track your funnel, I do say like it will save you money down the line to just focus on doing it right the first time, like a hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, you made me laugh when you said the starter home. I am podcasting in my basement for a reason. The <laughs> starter home didn't have a podcasting room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I will say that um, that doing it right the first time is going to save you more money, more time than trying to rush through something. I know that the pain is real, and we we hear that often with leaders of I don't have anything today. Something is better than nothing. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. But like, you could take two more months and get the thing that's going to work for you for the longevity of your process. You know, you yeah. don't have to, you don't have to now restart, lose historical data. You can just say we did it right the first time. And yeah, it took two extra months to, to get it done to, to completion. But look at the, the long-term benefit that I'm going to get from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true. And it kind of goes back to what I said about how we got here. If you if you do the the easier option and then you wait a bit of time and then the company gets way more complex, you know, you're going through a hiring uh, phase and uh, like I talked about, budgets increasing, company complexities increasing, tech debts increasing, all of this stuff is increasing. And then and then you're like, okay, now I need really good reporting, but it's going to be way harder to get that reporting done, you know? Yeah. If you're a startup with, you know, a new marketing automation platform or Salesforce instance, and you set it up, then that could, it could be like a month project and you're done. Um, if you're, you know, series C and you've got 50 salespeople and, you know, 15 marketers and all of these things going on, loads of tech debt. And uh, this could be like a four month, maybe longer project, right? Even just getting yeah. alignment between all those people on your stages is more difficult and so, and that is just cost and, and, um, both from actual cost of the implementation, either with an agency or even just the cost of your employees doing it. Yeah. Um, but then also a missed opportunity because you're not able to make the business decisions that you need to make at that point. You know, uh, yeah. like once you get to that stage, if you can't tell like what is converting into pipeline, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. I have like one, one fun thing. I don't know if it's the last thing that we end on, but what about if your whoever's listening, their CMO, whoever goes on LinkedIn and then sees these messages of like, oh, the funnel's dead or whatever. Like what's, <laughs> what's your response to that? If they're like, why do we need to track the funnel? Like the buyer journey is so complex and we should just be tracking, you know, hand raisers and then opportunities and uh, you know i i don't really know what the thinking is really behind the whole funnel is dead thing but i kind of do and i have a response but interested to hear what you two think i've been hearing less of the funnel is dead recently actually but also this is kind of something that xander you brought up yesterday and i think we're actually going to record a whole podcast on this it's like funnel data versus multi-touch attribution data yes right yeah so it's kind of like why do i need my final data if i've got if i'm tracking attribution in a different way yeah, and I hear I hear this a lot also um, with ABM. I'm going to go ABM focused, and right. I don't care about the lead the lead funnel because yeah, I get it. Like you're not going with with just pushing out MQLs and praying for the best. 
but we've talked about it before. All of these things are just data points that are helping you make better decisions. And when I'm talking, and I think that this is important to know, when I'm talking about the funnel, reporting is the end result. But what you're mm -hmm. also establishing is a good process. You're yes. establishing the handoff between marketing and sales Uh marketing and SDRs, SDRs and sales, um, channel partners, all of those pieces fall into your funnel. So if you focus on it being less about like, what am I sourcing? Well, what, what am I not sourcing? And more about what's driving sales behavior to open opportunities. That's an important data point. And then you can layer on the other, the other, you know, important data points. And maybe sometimes some of the, some of the, um, you know, flavor of the month things that we do oftentimes see in the marketing world. But mm -hmm. I think that I think that losing sight of what is the individual within my target account doing and where are yeah. they at in the sales cycle is just a big miss. Totally. Yeah, I think I agree there's a difference that. between the buyer's journey, like the, the true yeah. kind of like buyer's journey, which might be, you know, we've been talking, I feel like this, there's been a resurgence of, of, of people talking about this, but I remember going to like a Marketo summit like in 2012, and this was like the big topic about how 70% of the buyer's journey happens before they want to speak to a salesperson or whatever stat that they're yeah. throwing about. I think it was like 60%, um, I, but yeah, yeah, back then. Well, but it's probably like 80% it now. It's now. like a new thing. People are like, oh, there's <laughs> a new thing. It's like 2023, buyers are doing 70% 70, 70 of the buyer's journey yeah. before they speak to sales. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure people were talking about that 10 years ago, but... but I digress. Um, so, you know, if there's that, right, they're doing different touch points, there's, you know, dark social, there's all this stuff, but then there's, there's like the sales process bias journey. So if you're a B2B tech company, right, like, and yes, there's PLG, there's different ways to sell. Um, but if you're kind of a sales led company, the, the buyer's journey, once you're speaking to sales is pretty much the same, right? Like, you either have gone outbound and you've initiated a conversation or they've come inbound and you're having a conversation. You probably have a meeting. You then have a maybe you, there might be more meetings or, or less meetings until you then decide that there's actually an opportunity. And then you put that into your forecast and then they then you close one that deal, hopefully. And to Xander's point, you want to be able to track that process, right? So like even mm -hmm. taking out the, the tipping point source, like where did they come from? You want to be able to see, okay, this this many interested people and went to uh, like kind of inquired, you know, came through a demo request or a contact us, or this many people have started a sell a conversation with sales, this many converted into meetings, this many then converted into pipeline, and you want to see how efficient that is in this in this day and age of effi driving efficient growth, right? Like we can't be living with these like super low conversion rates that we've been living with for like the last yeah few years or several years where there's just so much inefficiency there, right? The salespeople aren't cheap. Maybe they'll get replaced by AI one day, but probably not fully. So you're still paying these people to do work. And if they're converting at like 2% through the funnel, that's like 98% of their time is being wasted. So you want to be able to see what's happening there and what gets measured gets managed, right? That famous quote. So if you're not measuring this, then no, no one's going to be trying to drive efficiencies through your sales process. And therefore, you're going to have an inefficient sales process, which is going to raise your customer acquisition cost. It's going to you know, frustrate leadership. 
And it's just going to be, you know, a disaster if you don't have accurate data on this. So that is just one part of tracking the funnel, right? Once you then add in the source information, all that other stuff, that's even, even a, a really interesting too. But I think back to your, to your question, Chrissy, like, yes, the buyer journey isn't linear, all this stuff that people want to talk about these days, but you're, you're buying your actual selling process when that, when that interacts with the buyer's process is still worth tracking. And that mm -hmm. is on a person that's generally, you can do it on an account level and a person level, and there's, there's pros and cons of doing, doing both, but that's why you, you probably need both. It's not, a, yeah. Yeah. it's not one or the other. Totally. 100%. All right. So I'm going to try and summarize a little bit of, of our key points uh, and things that you can bring to your executive leadership. Um, first of all, being able to track multiple journeys and not have that data overwritten is going to give you source of truth at point in time um, within your entire sales cycle and in, in your entire year and multi years. Um, and that's also going to give you cleaner data because we're not trying to automate and, and overwrite and clear things out, but we just have something that we can always depend on. Uh, we also have the ability to optimize all of our processes talking about the, the three V's conversion, velocity, volume. We want to make sure that we're optimizing all of those so that way we're, we're getting the most out of our spend and being able to track this to campaigns, whether that's through the tipping point. Um, and that's our primary way of doing that through the funnel. Um, but it's giving you a lot more visibility into what is actually working and what is starting the sales cycle. What are the pieces that I missed there, Charlie and Chrissy? Start with Charlie. I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on this um, <laughs> with some other some other sides. Yeah, Thanks. I think I think you summed it up. I think the key thing is focusing on like longevity and what's going to be right. Um, you know, starting and what's going to save the company time down the line, and also what's going to help them make better decisions from the for, from the beginning. Um, and the we're too small for that is not really the best thing. I think you will save yourself magnitudes of time and money when you're trying to do this later. Um, and everyone, when they are like, oh, I want this new solution. Okay. Can you give me the past three years data? It's terrible. So just start from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> and then the, like you said, the data and accuracy, um, and being able to, um, join in all the other data that you need to get you better decisions. Um, I think the key thing here is that this type of data, the funnel data really, um, is a great thing for the whole revenue team to align with and against. You can start conversations with data the right way when it's anecdotal. Hey, we think you're not like following up on our leads, like, or, Hey, why is, are we generating a thousand MQLs, but then only have, you know, two opportunities. Well, unless you have the right funnel data to see, to dig into, to see why, to see if certain regions are doing a different way, to see if different sources are growing a different way. You can't have those conversations the right way. It becomes a lot of finger pointing and anecdotes and it just, it's just not a great place. It just creates a lack of alignment between the teams. So from an executive, Hey, this is your, you know, your peace calling. <laughs> this is your, your, you know, your shared set of data that you can stand behind without feeling like you're on the defense or that the, the other sides of the team will be on the defense too. Yeah. I think asking yourself, 
is funnel data important? And I think the answer is always going to be yes. Like, is your board asking for it? Is leadership asking for it? Um, is it part of the board deck? Y usually it is. So therefore yeah. it's important. So therefore you need accurate data. You can layer on all sorts of complicated ABM, multi-touch attribution, like all this fancy stuff and other tools. But if you don't have, you know, the tried and tested, just final data, fundamental final data set up properly, you're going to suffer. Chrissy, Charlie, thank you so much for joining today. I think that this was a very impactful episode. Um, it's helped me personally as I continue to socialize this with clients and making sure that I'm hitting all of the right notes. So I'm sure that it is going to help other folks who are hearing this for the first time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review and or share it with a colleague. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you and have a great day. 